Hello everyone, welcome to episode, I didn't bother to check, of Midweek Metagame. I'm a sometimes co-host of this podcast, Patrick Robertson, filling in for Harry MTG, who's off busy somewhere celebrating Christmas before COVID catches us all. Uh, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Gab Nassif, tonight. Hey, what's up everyone? And joining us for the first time, uh, the Dark Lord himself, Andrew Cunio. Hi. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I, I'm honored to finally be invited. I've well, been waiting for know, this for a long, long time. How long is that in particular? Uh, definitely since you had Reed on. I couldn't believe you had Reed on before me. We actually had Reed twice on, I think, before you. Yeah. Yikes. Well, well, well. As Harry would say, we have a lot to get through tonight. Um, Alchemy is live on Magic Arena. Gab played Pioneer, and so did I, but probably the less said about that, the better. Uh, maybe we'll get into some other stuff. Andrew's obviously played Magic for a million years, and we can ask him a million questions about Tobias Andreon versus Gosta Dirk Saga from Legends Lore. Um, but as before we get into everything, anything, podcast is always brought to you by cardmarket.com. Magic Card Market is a place you can buy, sell, trade magic paraphernalia, trading card paraphernalia, singles, accessories, etc. Go to them. Spend money there. Perhaps make money there if you wish to sell things. They sponsored the podcast for a while, so thank them very much. And the podcast is also brought to you, brought to you by you, the, pat- the patrons from Patreon.com. We have two patrons today. Um, their names are Pedro and Aaron. So thanks very much for joining and getting involved in the Discord. And if you would like to do so, you can do that at Patreon.com slash Midweek Metagame, but there's obviously no obligation to do so. Yeah, Shall we jump into you. things? Thanks to both of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. We should jump into things. Alchemy is live. I haven't given my thoughts on the topic at all, but I'll kind of intersperse them throughout other people's commentary on how they've enjoyed the format so far. Andrew, you're the guest. You can start. What have you been doing in Alchemy? Are you excited for the format in general? Tell me a little bit about what's been going on in the last few days. I, I was at... I was very excited for the format, actually. I was a little bit surprised that so many people in the community were so resistant to the idea. I felt for a while, like, I only really play Magic by playing Arena at this point. And I felt in a lot of ways that Arena was just a second-class client because they were never doing any power-level balancing to the cards. So we were just stuck with a bad standard, you know, over and over. So Arena would just get still very quickly. So I was very much in favor of the the nerfing of kind of the outlier cards that were too good, like Epiphany and Chariot. So I was really excited about that. I'm, I was kind of indifferent to the additional digital-only cards, but now that I've gotten to play with them some, I think that for the most part, they're, they're actually really fun. And with one exception, I think they're all pretty well balanced or, well, only one of them I think is really overpowered. The uh, Most of them are either balanced or bad. And I think that the a lot of the digital-only mechanics actually make the games more fun to play. Because a lot of times in Standard, you know, once you've played the format for a little while, you just get the same game that you've already played. And so it doesn't really stay fresh. But the little bit of extra RNG on the cards, I actually think, really helps the replayability of the format. That's the, uh, that, that, that's the, side, of the side of the argument I never really heard up until this point of this you know, a lot of the time when people talk about these kind of digital card games versus Magic, uh, they say, oh, all the uh, 
obviously all the RNG and magic is is in the mana system, and then so we just have the cards that do what they, what what it says printed in the text box. Whereas like Hearthstone has to kind of make up for its uh, structured mana, you know, non-random mana system by giving you RNG in the game. But it's interesting to see that there's, a, you know, there, there's actually a room in the Magic game engine for a little bit of variance or extra variance on top to make it a bit more flavorful. Yeah, it was actually interesting. I was, I don't know if it's a coincidence or if YouTube can read in my mind, but I was watching yesterday the little, uh, little, how do you say, a little talk Richard Garfield gave uh, many years ago on the, one of the first Magic Cruises about luck versus skill in games and game design. And he was mentioning that a way to make games more fun sometimes or less repetitive is to add, add some some rng so it was kind of interesting that you you brought that up right away andrew and i agree i've 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 liked alchemy i like the concept in a vacuum i think you have arena why not take advantage of it i was already a fan of the davriel planeswalker some of these other cards they had uh, in historic since Historic was the first kind of arena-only format where they could do that kind of stuff. And I think that it's a good idea to take advantage of arena's uh, potential. I'm a bit worried about, as a competitive player, you know, how they tie an extra format in the mix. Are they kind of planning on getting rid of standard? Do they even have a plan? So that part I'm a little worried about, but... I like the the idea of alchemy in a vacuum, anyways, and it's been fun so far. I I see where you're going with the kind of what do you do with standard at this point argument. I mean, maybe this is kind of conversation for later on after we've discussed the kind of the good things about alchemy in general. But I definitely agree with you that taking advantage of the arena platform to do something unique and uh, and exactly like what alchemy is trying to do is probably the right direction for them to go. But how it ties into paper in general is going to be a, a, something that, so that has to play out over the next little while. I could imagine a world where we just kind of have sets that come out digitally and sets that come out like Modern Masters or Modern Horizons for paper tournaments or paper play and the two things essentially diverge from this point forward I think is probably how it plays out in the long term. Yeah, so Andrew, what's the card that you think is overpowered? Uh, Inquisitor Captain. Yeah. I, I think certainly in historic it's so easy to make it so it just chains over and over and it you can you know you just keep getting a rebuy on the inquisitor captain through glass pool mimic or mirror image or charming prince and so you just get so much power from just a four mana card it that doesn't really seem balanced to me and even in standard just with glass pool mimic you know, people chain them a lot yeah, I actually haven't ran into these decks in Standard but I was, or Alchemy, but I was playing Historic today, and I was myself playing that deck, and I got into a bunch of mirror matches, and some people were already ready. It was the Miscaller in the sideboard to tutor for, was or to Conjure, was the Grizzled a Veteran, or whatever it's called, Grizzled, grizzled Master. So, yeah, that was, that was interesting. It does feel like... In historic, anyways, from the little I've played, that that deck can be really powerful. You get uh, mirror image and simic and etc. You can make it a Yorion deck. So it might just be kind of dominant, and then in response, people might have to play Hushbringer decks or Stern Strict Proctor decks 
counter them, so it might they might narrow down the metal too much, but I was also not sure what the best way to deal was just black green food was. I played that matchup once and it seemed like Meat Hook Massacre was a lot of a problem, but um. it, I, I think that maybe if you just put the Inquisitor Captain into the Heliod deck and you just kind of go for combo kills. Yeah. I, I think that might be the, the best way to do it. Yeah, I wanted to try something a little newer, but obviously you can just put that card in Heliod, put that card in white green. I was wondering if there's actually room for eight four mana cards in these type of decks. Seems like a lot, but you also I don't know, an easy way to lose the game is to not draw your companies in some matchups and captains maybe even better because it doesn't suffer from the Thalia attacks. I was yeah, saving I think, that for a bit later for maybe when things get serious. Yeah, that, that was kind of my... I, I haven't played very much with the captain decks either because they just seem kind of overpowered and also very repetitive because they just basically try to do the same thing every game. I think in Historic, at least with the Heliod deck, you might want to play the Huntmaster and just have like a Heliod, a captain, and a Scurry Oak in your sideboard to get with the Huntmaster. So yeah. you wouldn't necessarily have eight or mana cards. You might only have seven. But. Yeah. Is I the Huntmaster Hunt Mas- a tutor from the sideboard, or does it give you a sideboard creature at random? No, it conjures from your sideboard, meaning I think you can conjure the same card over and over again. So if you have a Yasharn that you want for you know the sack matchup, but the deal was the first one, I think you can keep conjuring yeah. the same, okay. same yeah. cards. Yeah, if, if, if you can blink the Huntmaster, you can get the same, you can keep getting new Yasharns. Also, the, the way the Huntmaster works, if you just have duplicates of a creature in your hand the first time it comes into play, you can just get rid of all, all of the copies of whatever the card you're ditching in your hand is and just get that many Yasharns. It doesn't matter. You only need one copy in your sideboard. Okay. All right. So, but I'm just haven't quite wrapped my head around the new terminologies, difference between conjuring yeah. and seeking and probably a different Seeking one. take, oh, you always get stuff from your deck. And it's removing the card from your deck when it happens. Conjure, okay. it's oh. you're, you're just creating it out of thin air. I guess but that makes sense. But it's not a token. It's an actual card, so then it can be reshuffled, bounced to your hand, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no worries. That's, that's fine. The, the distinction is relatively clear now. Okay. And, and I guess for those of you who don't know, I'm not sure if we talked about it last week or you didn't listen last week, but Alchemy is the new arena-only format, which is... Basically, the standard card pool plus nerfed. I think there's four or five nerfed cards: Faceless Haven, Epiphany, Goldspan Dragon, Chariot, and Luminarchus Pirate, and a set of 60-ish alchemy cards, which are new cards that I don't know if they all use or abuse in some ways the uh, arena mechanics that you could they, they really replicate. They all do some amount of arena mechanics. Yeah. So that's a format, and that has had historic is still historic, but it's been impacted, meaning that the nerf cards from Alchemy are also nerfed in historic. So Chariot is nerfed. The, the most noble one maybe is Luminarch Aspirant, even though it got a really good replacement. And um, yeah, I guess I cleared that out. So you've been talking a bit about his, the impact of these Alchemy cards in historic. What about? in the actual format alchemy itself have you had a chance to play any of the kind of modified standard i've been doing nothing but playing that since alchemy came out and i i think it it definitely has given a ton of new stuff to explore 
And I think that once things settle down, assuming they ever do, it's going to be a much better meta than just blue, red versus green versus white, which was what standard was before, really. That's a relatively low bar, but do you think the new cards is really adding something, or is it just the kind of the the, the, the nerfs to those powerful powerful cards from those decks? Well, I think the nerfs would have improved things just on their own, but the new cards, like there's a card, uh, Sanguine Brushstroke, which gives you a Blood Artist and a Blood Token, and you drain when you sack blood. That card has really moved the kind of mono black deck from being just a not very good deck to being a, an actively strong deck. Um, there's also a whole bunch of different cards you can put into blue control decks that it's not really clear to me what the best way to build blue control decks is now, but I think there might actually be multiple viable ways to build them. And there's, a, there's, I think, maybe four cards from Alchemy that all of them seem like they could fit. Maybe even more than that. Uh, I mean, I've seen a couple of different counter spells. There's the the three mana counter spell that reduces the cost of cards that share a type of the spell you counted in your hand. There's also the dismiss as well. I think both of those cards are pretty bad. That's fine. There's, I've also seen the divination seems pretty powerful with the same kind of grizzled hunt master style text. Yeah, I played that one a lot. I like that card a lot. It's really good with uh, the modal lands, like especially Jawara disruption where mm. you you get to a point in the game where you just draw disruption doesn't really it like it's a bad land and it's not a spell you're ever going to want to cast and you can just use unexpected conversion i think is the name of it to you draw two cards so it's a divination then you loot away the draw disruption i guess you exile it and you get a replacement for that and then you can also get all the other copies out of your deck so I, I felt like it really, it pushes you when you build your control deck to play a lot more situational cards as well that are only going to be good in certain matchups. So I went to playing like four Doom Scars in a deck, which I probably wouldn't do if I didn't have a way to get rid of them. And uh, I also have Test of Talents in my main deck, which is another card that you can easily, you know, discard to Unexpected Conversion. And also to the, there's another new card called Key to the Archive, which you need to discard cards to feed. So I think it's, I feel like it's really opened up how to build blue decks now in a way that's pretty interesting. Have you, uh, yeah, have you come to opinions on which of the blue cards you think are good or bad? I think I agree with you that the Chandler and the formula are not super great, especially the, the Chandler. And I still haven't figured out how to build a control deck I liked. I've had very, like, relatively very little success with control decks so far, whether it's Blue-Eyed, Blue-Red, or Esper. And the decks I've won the most was on the ladder anyways, or on the ladder, is just Red-Black Vamp with very few new cards. I tried the, the new 4-drop. It's pretty decent. Free, free Death Touch for 4, where... When enters a battlefield, your opponent discards their most expensive card. That card's solid, but not much better or worse than the other vamps for drop. And the fact that it's a vamp itself is not really that big of an upside. I think there was maybe one game where I got to cast it of the the vampire land where I didn't have actual black mana, so it was an upside there. But the, the type is pretty relevant on the cheaper creatures, on, on the more expensive ones, less so. And that mono black deck, I played a bit too, and that deck was decent for me. I agree with you that that new enchantment, the brush stroke, is good. 
And I know that other people have had decent amount of success with black versions uh, of the sac- kind of a sacrifice build. But I was curious to to hear more of your thoughts about control decks. I haven't been blown away by key to the archive. I think that card is fine. Maybe a little overhyped, maybe still useful. Also depends if people start showing up with artifact hate. It can backfire big time because it's pretty pretty expensive. So I'm curious to to know how you think how you've been building your your control decks. If you think they're actually good compared to you know maybe mono white, mono black, vamps. Uh, you know the mono red decks have looked good. Whether it's burn or the dragon version, these decks have looked kind of scary. So well, yeah. I think mono white is really bad in alchemy relative to where it used to be just because it's so bad against the black decks um what the control deck i've had the most success with is just straight blue white and i think it it's been a while since i've even lost with it when i played it on the ladder like i i usually i'll play that my rank will improve a lot then i'll go and just try something else and my rank will tank again uh but so the way i've been playing it i've been playing with key to the archive like three or four copies of that. And then one card that's great with Key to the Archive is Teferi who slows the sunset. Just because if you get to, if you're like on the play and you play, you can afford to just play turn four key and then you have a Teferi the next turn, you're so far ahead. Um, so that's been really good. I agree with you that Key isn't overpowered. I think it's at a good spot power level wise where it's clear that people respected enough that they're starting to play with like a braid to destroy it like it's at a good enough spot where people respect it and they plan around it when they build their decks but it doesn't just feel busted to me what sort of cards can you draft what sort of cards are in the archive that you can draft that are really uh well you get all the cards they're all from the strixhaven mystical archive so it's a like you can get demonic tutor you can get regrowth which those are just kind of fun to play with you can get Counterspell. The card most people re- generally want to get is Approach of the Second Sun. Just because you, like a lot of, if you play, it, it does lead to this one broken draw where if you get to play Key on turn four and you get Approach and you just play Approach on turn five, like a lot of the decks aren't fast enough to ever beat that. Okay. stuff. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So like I have one with blue-white control just on turn seven by casting approach the second time it, but mostly it's like removal spells there's a couple of whammies in the spell book like you can there's claim the firstborn which i've never seen a situation where you'd want to get that uh there's growth spiral which makes really no sense to get <laughs> once you've already played your four mana artifact that generates mana uh but for the most part like you you're gonna see three cards to draft one of and Usually there's something that's appealing to get. There's a Day of Judgment in there, which a lot of times that's the one that you really want to see. I was going to ask what the exact exact mechanics for drafting is, and it's so it's look at three. It's like Discover and Hearthstone. So yeah, look at the three cards and choose one of them. Yeah, and all the spell books have 15 cards, so you're you're looking. It's a 20% chance to hit like the card you really want, and most of them you can go through and you can figure out well what are the three worst cards to see for my particular deck, and you're only going to have to take the third worst one. So if you're a, like a blue-white control deck that never wants to claim the firstborn, you're never going to be stuck with that. Like, that's the worst card, I would say. So 
you you figure out what are the two other bad ones and like whatever the third worst one is that's the worst the card's ever going to be for you i yeah. i played against a mono red deck that had four braids in it and it also had this card from afr called you like you question prisoners or something that <laughs> is literally just shatter or anticipate off your opponent's deck oh i like that cut and draft yeah i like that card and draft too but it like that's what i mean when people are preparing to play against key like that person clearly wanted their deck to be good against key that they, this was all in their main deck that they had a braid and this other card and they were like a spells based red deck but i i think that most people's red decks have a braid in them now at this point because they want the option of blowing up the key so it's not like the key that the key is good, but there's counterplay to it, and I think it's at a healthy balance level right now. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 tried many builds of of control. I've tried the key and Teferi. I agree, it's pretty good, but even that is not that busted. Key is not technically card advantage. It's all man advantage plus a card, but that card's not always great. Teferi is it's cute and all, but it feels sometimes hard to get ahead. Some of your cards are really expensive and clunky. And I just haven't been super, super impressed so far. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe I'll have to try and steal one of your lists and, and try again. I've uh, I've mostly had success with control decks. I'm surprised you say white is, is that bad. I agree, it's not gonna be super great against these black decks, but even against the black deck was the new the new free one, you get to tap these annoying blockers that get some damage through, and maybe you get a you get to clear them with Skyclave. You you do have like pretty good raw power with the captain. Well, you still have faceless haven even though it's nerfed, but uh, you know I'm guessing that deck's still gonna be decent against control decks. Yeah, it, it probably it, it is still decent against control decks. I think I, I've heard you say it a few times on your stream that. You think the new, I think it's called Sigardian Evangel, mm -hmm. is just better than Luminarch Aspirant. And I think you're very wrong about that. I think that Evangel's a good card, but Luminarch Aspirant was like the best card in the white decks. And it was specifically really good against black because when you were on the play, you could make a creature that was just going to be bigger than Meat Hook Massacre, just like up the curve, unless they had some crazy draw with Deadly Disputes. So now, like, the black decks, they just always get to get you with Meat Hook Massacre. Like, it, short of you just having your taxing creatures live, you're going to get swept by Meat Hook Massacre. And those black decks always have three or four copies in it. And, like, usually, like, sometimes you can beat them if they sweep once. Even that's not guaranteed. But, like, the second time you get swept, the game just ends, is my experience. Yeah, is Aspirin just not Is Aspirin just not playable anymore? I mean, it feels like it's it still races Meat Hook Massacre in the same way. It just doesn't deal yeah, with I, one less damage. I, I think it's just not playable anymore. Because it just deals damage so much more slowly. Because it's not just that you... Like, it, it's not like you miss one damage a turn. Because a lot of times you miss an attack. Because you don't get to grow whatever creature was going to get to attack. I mean, maybe people still should be playing with it. But I, I, I think that that is the card that got nerfed the most. And it really wasn't the most overpowered card to start what about chariot is chariot i feel like chariot got kind of pretty pretty powered down yeah huge nerf monogreen I, I might was, still be fine but i'll go ahead 
Oh, I was going to say, I was of the opinion before that Chariot was the most overpowered card. Even though Epiphany was the dominant thing, it was like Epiphany just matched up really well against the Chariot decks for the most part. Chariot was just like, I don't understand how they printed that card. If if you've been playing for a while, there was a point where the four mana Gideon was the best card in standard, and people were like, wow, this Gideon's really oppressive. Yeah. And Chariot is just like much, much better than that Gideon. Yeah, Chariot is like Gideon that's been in play for two turns. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be to be fair, wasn't Sherrod not quite good enough in the first few formats it was in, like until we got rotation and stuff? Well, yeah. one of the things that held it back was well, so first of all, if you look at the decks right before rotation, a lot of them were four chariot decks. Like that Winota deck was a four chariot deck, just the Gruel deck with Magda was a four chariot deck. Um but one of the things that held Chariot back before was just Lovestruck Beast. Like people could actually play a three drop that you weren't going to be able to attack with your with your Chariot. And also there was the Sulfite Ultimatum deck that kind of went over the top of the Chariot decks that weren't super fast. I played a, I was playing just a, a green black deck that had uh, two mana, mana accelerants, Chariot, and Ren and seven, and. Like when you get the turn three chariot, turn four Ren draw, it's still just completely ridiculous. Um, I, I think chariot is still completely fine. Yeah. There's also the new the new pup. That card has seemed kind of okay. Some of the new the new the new wolf and the werewolf cards. What what does the pup do exactly? Is it it's like a two it's a savannah lines that gives you no, an extra creature. Unfortunately plus one, plus one. it's not a savannah lines. It's a one two four green and the next creature you cast gets a plus one plus one counter or trampled counter and I think a vigilant counter. So it's not amazing in spot removal because it can just kill your you know your next creature and kind of lost the advantage, but it is the good type. It has the wolf type, so if you want to play it was Maybe Tavalar, the Lord, that draws cards. The problem is the mana, I think, is not great in these. If you try to play the werewolf decks, it's hard to have consistently, you know, untap green on turn one into whatever you need, maybe double green or red green on turn two, et cetera, et cetera. They should probably, it's probably time for them to print some red green snarls. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, if you want to make the, deck, the mana worse, you could do that. Yeah. There, there is. There's a new land in alchemy that is just great. The Forsaken Crossroads. So it's kind of like a cross between a pathway and a scry land, and that definitely makes the mana better in two color decks. Although it's a little awkward that if you're on the play, it's always going to come into play tapped. But it, it is. If you're on the draw, it, it's just you just have a pathway with upside. Yeah. I think that, I think you can 100% make the mana work if you want to play green, red werewolves. And I have lost to that a bunch. And it does seem like that deck actually, the nerf to Chariot did make it so that maybe Arlen Cord is better than Chariot in that specific deck. It seems like people are actually playing Arlen Cord now. Whereas before, you would just never put any four drop in your deck before you had four Chariots. Yeah. There's Lots also. Of mics. Experience with the werewolf deck is I think it's still probably worse than just playing mono green because they like there's it's a lot of the same cards, but you never get the draws with Blizzard Brawl where you feel like your opponent just has no chance. Blizzard, Brawl, draw yeah. Blizzard Brawls and play them one curve and like that's a real good card. Yeah. Yeah. You do get some dumb like pop into 
free free werewolf and to maybe the, the lord that draws cards or yeah the, the haste adds up to the the two free to the seeker that what card was the nerf to faceless haven exactly just uh, lost the power free it's just a three three now okay yeah. all right it doesn't hit quite as hard at least that kind of opens up a bit of space like it's okay for you to not play faceless haven you can just play dens and layers of the hydra yeah it it definitely brings it more into balance with with those other things I, I like I like what they've done in general. I, I think in terms of these nerfs, then from what I'm hearing, opening up space for other other cards that have been on the fringe. Are you aware of the cards that got buffed? <laughs> or actually, cards I that am. Got buffed? I think I think I know more about the cards that got buffed than anything else. Is that Wizard Class got buffed, right? And yep, that got buffed. Druid rancid. Class got buffed. And then Not the artifact, the elixir. Oh, the one that gains two life and draw a card. Yeah, and it's yeah. cry one to it. It's oh, now I'm interested. I'm interested. I in had to play that against me. They lost very easily. The scry one wasn't enough to win it for them. <laughs> Shocker. I think I, I heard you saying on your stream the other day, actually, Andrew, that. You're glad they haven't gone wild with buffing cards, though, and I definitely agree with you. Your your rationale seemed pretty sound. Do you want to share it with? with oh yeah. So I I'd heard some people say that they thought it might have been better to just buff a bunch of cards and leave the 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 outliers where they were. Like don't nerf chariot, don't nerf Aaron's Epiphany. Just try to buff cards up to that point. And the problem with that is if you only buff like ten cards or whatever. It's really boring for the players because the players just, okay, we'll only look at the cards that got buffed and we'll see if they're good enough. Now, it doesn't leave much of a format to explore. By just nerfing the handful of outliers, it really opens the format up so everybody gets to explore it again and try to figure out, okay, what's good now? Rather than being told, here are the cards that might be good enough now, go try them. It's, you know, explore the whole format again, which I yeah. think is way more fun for the players. Yeah, it's definitely exhibited a bit of self-restraint. The the only I mean the cards that they buffed though like why they bother to do those buffs I have no idea it it, it didn't change them really at all I did they did this previously bit. with the digital cards in historic where they made a handful of buffs that were just all completely pointless it just makes me it makes me wonder if like are those cards that they had earmarked for like constructed play at some point in time in their in their internal testing at some point they're like why is no one playing with wizards class I know. It's two mana more expensive on the third chapter. That's why. Well, they, they gave the rationale for at least Cosmos Elixir, and I think the same rationale applies to the other cards, where they looked at the data that Cosmos Elixir was a card that people crafted a lot on Arena and then also tended to lose with a lot. So they were okay. like, well, this is a card people like. Why don't we just try to make it better so they have a better experience with it? But why they were so tame in how they changed it, like, there's no way that they're moving the needle by adding scar yeah. Feels like yeah, they're maybe. baiting they're baiting people a second time. <laughs> These they already yeah. have them craft, so they're not baiting yeah. them into crafting. They, they can't dust them, which has definitely happened to me in Hearthstone where I would like they would nerf something, I would dust it, and then they would buff it again, and I would rebuy it. <laughs> it's just, this is where my, I've always just thrown my money down the toilet. Yeah. Feels like that elixir card could. There's probably some numbers you can change on it to make it a card that you would put in your like control deck or whatever. Yeah, make it cost three, and then I or would at least try it. What about I don't even think it would be busted like if it cost three. 
could gain three life. I think three life is a pretty significant number compared to two. Uh, I think even it, it, like at four mana, that's that's just not good enough. Yeah, I suppose I suppose so. I also feel like we're at the point in Magic where gaining incremental amounts of life is not actually as good as it doesn't really do very much anymore. People deal damage in chunks of seven and eight. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if you went a bit more into detail in your latest version of Blue White Control. Does it have divide by zero? Does it have layer? I found that. Maybe building around layer still made the most sense. All right. So the version I've had the most success with, I do not have layer in my deck. I have just two Hallbreaker Horrors. Uh, I, I watched you play some with like a blue white deck that had Leer and Divine Purge. I think that's that's the new one. Yeah. I don't think that card is good. Like it makes sense with Leer, but I just think it's a bad card. So I was just playing four Doomscars, and then I had main deck, two Test of Talents, main deck, two Saw It Cummings, and then also four Divide by Zeros. I think it's crazy not to play four Divide by Zeros in blue. And then for my top end, like I just had, I think I had four Key to the Archives and two Teferis, and then two Hullbreaker Horrors and four Doomscars. And it's just, it felt like it played out really smoothly. You can do this thing, which it it's generally overkill, but you can get to a point in some games where you can use Hullbreaker Hard to bounce the key to keep going through the spell book to get what you want, which I have yeah. actually had that come up. Uh, and I, I also sorry. tried Esper with Leers and not playing counters, uh, still playing keys, but like playing duresses and stuff. And the mana is good in those decks, but I think it's maybe not good enough. It's really hard to make your to make it easy to cast the stuff you want to cast on turn two and have your land come into play untapped on turn three was my experience. Just playing like 12 of the Deserted Beach Cycle plus Juari Disruptions plus the Man Lands. I didn't, I, I felt like I just wasn't good enough against the aggro decks when I was playing three colors. Yeah, I thought the mana was okay, but you do lose out on Field of Rune and you probably lose out on maybe some of the Split cards like Mirror's Call, so the the cost it adds up. I, I did like having access to Vanishing Verse. I thought that was kind of a cool card in the meta. You can get rid of the enchantment. It kills a horror. It kills a leer. It kills most things unless you get paired against Bard class, which actually happened once when I was playing Esper. I lost just super badly to Bard's class. My removal didn't line up well at all. I couldn't really get rid of Bard's class. I was playing a bunch of these Divine Purge and not enough Dooms cards. I was kind of excited about Divine Purge because I thought it would be good against these black decks, exiling their stuff, exiling their treasures and etc. as well. And, you know, I figured eventually maybe people will start playing white and green again and exiling trolls, casting it again later in the game. But in, in practice, that's not the, the matchups I got, and the Divine Purge was all underwhelming for me. So, yeah, do you, do you have extra card advantage? Do you have four copies of the Divination of Unexpected uh, uh I've been playing, like, a mix. I think I was playing maybe three of the Divination and, like, two Memory Deluges. I also tried Discover the Formula some, which is a card a lot of people are excited about. That card's okay. Yeah. Uh, one card I was playing with that seems kind of bad, and I was expecting to take it out of my deck, but it's actually been great for me, is Nico Eris. 
the like yeah yeah it makes shards and kills things it like the blue white deck when you when you play four key to the archives you do ramp into a lot of mana so nico actually does just kind of become ridiculous in some spots and also in the blue mirrors just playing it on turn three a lot of the time is good so it, i I wouldn't play a ton of that card, but that card has actually been surprisingly good for me. Yeah, that card always. I found when I was playing blue white that I know, Gab, when you first started, you were playing four uh, fierce retributions, I think. Yeah. And I think it, it it's a mistake to not play. Uh, what what's the one that gives them a treasure? It's like the new declaration in stone. That fateful uh, absence. Yeah. That card's been pretty good for me in small numbers, and Valorous Stance has been pretty good for me in small numbers. I do like the Fierce Retribution. I started playing some of them in the sideboard. The other thing you lose by playing Divine Purge is that you can't really play Portable Hole, and I think Portable Hole is just a really good removal spell yeah. in a control deck. You could just play it, right? You just get to cast it again for two more, and it's not that big of a deal, right? It's a pretty big deal if you're you're putting their card that you exiled back into play, and then you have to spend three more mana to get rid of it. Oh right, it comes there. They get their card back into play. I'm dumb. Yeah, it is a big deal. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, to be fair, when I read Divine whatever, I thought it was kind of bad, and Chad just kept hyping it up and kind of talked me into trying it out, and I got like excited about it. It's like, oh yeah, maybe it is really good and stuff, and. Can you recite the text on Divine Whatever to me? It's, since you don't know the name and I don't know the card either. It's it's Divine Retribution. Purge, I think. Purge. It's, it's white, white, one, sorcery. You exile every artifact and creature that costs three or less, and they gain, uh, you can cast them for two more. So they all get Spellbinder, kind of. Yeah, okay, all right. So well, the they idea is you play it once, and by the time they can cast it again, you either play another one, or you play Leer and play it again, or you don't even care about it anymore because it's the, their cheap stuff, and you moved on to the late game. So. I've seen people try it in Historic. It might be good in Historic, where the just taxing their the early plays makes more sense. Yeah. But I think especially in Alchemy, a lot of the creature decks are just Inquisitor Captain decks. So having your sweeper not even hit Inquisitor Captain is particularly bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. It also has added bonus that, you know, if you cast multiple, it stacks up, so it costs four to cast next turn. So in theory, okay. it sounds kind of good, but the fact that it doesn't hit enchantment has been bad for me between the Brushstroke and the Bards class. It was kind of random, but... Bard's cast might be decent. There's some good legends. One card you didn't mention in red-green that's pretty solid is Alana and Helena, I believe the card is called. Yeah. It's a four-drop 2-3 that yeah. gives a creature plus two plus one haste or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's like equals to its power and haste, so that card's kind of kind of nice. But it was it was funny. It was kind of a joke when I played that matchup with my expert deck because like Vanishing Verse didn't really do anything, Divine yeah. whatever didn't do anything. I was and then when I finally had a removal spell, they just had the Snakeskin Veil. They had Haste. They like one shot me basically with one of their creatures plus Selena. So it was yeah. Yeah, close game. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm curious. Uh, I haven't played Alchemy in a couple of days, but 
I've just been having success with with red black vamps. I'm I'm surprised you don't like that white two drop. I didn't play a ton with white because I didn't want to just jam just kind of the basic white aggro deck. But I was in the few matches I played, I was so impressed by that free one. I yeah, I kept thinking that I think it's better than pre nerf aspire, and that's how good I thought it was. The tap ability was just super relevant every time. The card advantage, the the getting you know, you can get two extra copies when you get six mana. That card was amazing for me. I, I actually played a lot with that card. I made a white weenie deck uh, that was trying to take advantage of this other new color called Suntail Squadron. That's a white, white, and two instant. And when you play it, you basically fill your hand up to seven cards with one, one Suntail Hawks. So I built my deck around that. So I had like the Monk of the Even Hand. And uh, Clarion Spirit, and they had the Evangel side. All the white, the white weenie stuff that gets a benefit when you play more than one spell in a turn. And then I was like trying to just dump my hand and then play the Suntail Squadron to fill my hand back up with the Hawks. And I had Paladin Class, and I had Intrepid Adversaries kind of Anthem effects to make the Hawks better. But I also just had four of the Sigardian Evangel, which is the card you said you like. And it's definitely Mm -hmm. a good card. There's, There's no doubt about it. But Really, I think that the problem is the black decks got a lot better. Yeah. And so, and the black decks just really beat up on white. I've never beaten one of those black decks with a white weenie deck. My deck was maybe a little bit oddball. Maybe you could make it a somewhat better in that matchup. But you really, you're fighting an incredibly uphill battle, I would say. And even even like the, the, the blue-white control decks now, they play a lot of sweepers too. And they're less susceptible, I would say, to Thalia. So it it's it's really rough for White Weenie right now. Maybe the meta settles down and like the black deck kind of falls out of favor, and then I think White would be good again. But if you're if you're trying if you have to play against that black deck too much, it's pretty hopeless. The black deck is still playing the eight eight one ones for one, right? But no, I, you, you you don't you don't play Iwitch anymore. You get the Cursebound Witch, which is one of these draft cards. You can ask, actually assemble Cat Oven in standard. Ooh. I did that day one of Alchemy. It was great. I still haven't done it. You play the Shambling Gas. You can play you know some numbers of Curtains, and uh, I've been playing actually a few Sorins. I know Kowalski's been winning a lot and. Playing a lot dad deck, he for some reason I never see Sorens in his in his lists, which doesn't make sense. The latest list he shared on his Patreon is uh, has key to the archive in it, and still has multiple copies of Lalt and Blood in the Snow, or Blood on the Snow. So there there's a few ways you can build. You have like some 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 card choices you can make. I, I still like the Merchant, the one four, the, the Felstinger is also okay. I think you probably want to mix there. The Bloodcaster is actually really good in this deck. It's pretty easy to flip. It makes a lot of blood tokens, which is good with your brush strokes. And yeah, no, that deck is really cool and and powerful. It doesn't look necessarily like the greatest, but it, it's it's been tough. And one thing we didn't talk about a ton is that the nerf on Epiphany is very real. They added a mana to the mana cost even if you foretold it and you only get the birds if you cast it up foretell which means that even if you foretold it and you copy it you don't get the bird so it got nerves in many different ways and 
people have just not been playing Epiphany at all in their decks anymore. They just play Key to the Archive or the Formula, and they play Lear and the Horror as their top end. It feels like in, pre- it feels like in preparation for the last PT when you guys you were all exploring the various different blue red decks. There was a there was at least some tension between are we supposed to be Epiphany? Are we supposed to be blue red, blue red control? Are we playing Hullbreaker Horrors? Are we playing Lears? So it doesn't surprise me if you take a notch down off a significant notch out of Epiphany, you just completely change tact generally. Yeah. Well, I, I will say I I built a new an Epiphany deck and I I think it's still really good. It I think is the best way to use this card, Geist Channeler, which people have tried a lot. So Geist Channeler is a one three that when you when it enters the battlefield, you get to perpetually reduce the casting cost of an instant or sorcery by two in your hand. It has to be it has to cost three or more, which I don't know why there's that clause on it, but so you can you use it to reduce the casting cost of Epiphany, and then you can foretell the Epiphany, and it still applies to when you're casting it out of foretell. So I built blue red, and I just had four guys channelers, which there's also four unexpected windfalls. With so you can go turn two guys channeler, then on turn four you can play a windfall and galvanic iteration it if you guys channelered the windfall, which is really really powerful. And like Epiphany is definitely worse, but Geist Channeler does actually make that deck better. I stopped playing with it because I think people just are kind of bored playing against Epiphany and bored of watching people play it. But I, I think that deck is probably pretty good. I think it just adds up when people, you know, they're ready for the grind and they hit you with go blank and stuff, and all of a sudden your Epiphanies are harder to cast, more expensive. And I've just played games where not getting these one-on-one tokens was the difference between winning and losing, you know, multiple times. And oh yeah, it's it's definitely worse. But I there there are cards that also make it like Geist Channeler makes it better. I think that card discovered the formula is good if you're going to be playing Geist Channeler anyway. Yeah, but then then you're playing a deck with like draw draw or seek three. Yeah, and it reduces the cost. The casting costs of all your non-land cards in hand by one, even your creatures. It can even hit lands, you know, if you're playing a mirror, it's called NCH Restoration. But then you're building your deck with, like, so many expensive cards. I mean, there's probably a decent build of the deck, but it's not like it was... I, I think my the build I was playing with that seemed fine, I had four Windfalls, three Epiphanies, maybe, like, two Discovers and two Leers. Yeah. And I guess two burn down the houses. So I mean, it was it was more expensive cards than a lot of decks would play. But you also you have the four geist channelers, and when you have one of those in your opening hand, one of the cards becomes a, a cheap card. Yeah. It, it it honestly felt like a good deck to me. It. I, I. If I was actually preparing to play a tournament in alchemy, I, that's one of the decks I would consider for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was the first deck I built, Chandler's Formalized Epiphanies, and it just felt a little, a little weak. I could see just playing Epiphany, you know, maybe just one or two to just have that kind of top end in and, and the meta. If it's a lot of these black mid-range decks and other, other kind of decks, and maybe good enough to play a few, but not good enough to... To play for which is was not even really the case before. People didn't they don't always play for epiphanies in every deck, whether they were dragon or not. So I think it makes sense that 
Nick Piffini's not that great anymore since everything else got buffed. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's no longer the deck that won 58% of the time when everyone was preparing for it as the top dog. Yeah. It's certainly nerfed from where where it would where it is if you just go back to playing standard, but I I think it's still completely reasonable to play. It, yeah. So it it's probably actually in a pretty good spot. Which, if people weren't sick of playing against time walk decks, then it it's uh, it would be more popular. I think. This is really you, starting to sound more and more like a very good format uh, or an enjoyable format to play. It, it's it's been a ton of fun for me. I, I do it seems like it's not that popular. Like it does seem like the queue times on the on the ladder are longer than they were in standard. And I sometimes get really bad pairings because it, it's taken a while to get a match. Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of inertia of people getting cards. I yeah. mean, there's no way of drafting these cards as well, which is I yeah. think is a big kind of red flag against it, I guess. Or yeah, not against it at least. There's that problem, people are being a little scared of using their wild cards. There's the fact that there's a qualifier this weekend that is limited, so maybe a lot of the, the good players that you would find at Mythic Ladder are practicing draft and limited. There's also, I think, people playing probably less just before the vacation. Maybe they got work to finish before going on vacation or X and Y reasons. But there's the... Not this weekend, but the the one in January and of January is is going to be Alchemy, and okay. yeah, that's that's kind of exciting. I guess that's important for me. I feel the that extra motivation to to, to play a format that's used for competitive. Um, I'm assuming the next Arena Championship will have Alchemy as one of the formats. Well, I I don't think they've necessarily announced that, but. I, I think it, it, whatever they've set up to this point, you, you really need to take it with a grain of salt because it's going to depend entirely on whether they decide Alchemy is a success. Yeah. Like, I, I think if they decide that Alchemy is a success, they'll just switch all the standard ones to be Alchemy going forward. But if it's a flop, then Alchemy yeah. will just become a weird casual format. Yeah, we'll see. I agree. I don't feel like there's been, like, a huge maybe... Um... Yeah, positive response to alchemy. It, it does it. seem like people, the people there. There's a group of people who just hate it because they either hate the digital changes or they hate the economic implications, and they refuse to try it. And then there's the people who just because the economy for getting into it is pretty painful haven't been able to try it. But I think the people who have actually tried it have been generally very happy with it. Yeah. Like it's. It's been a really fun release for me, and I that seems to be a pretty widespread opinion, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, and the servers didn't even really suffer. Maybe it's because it was less people playing than on normal releases. But have you? I don't know if they fixed it today. There was a patch. Have you noticed any of the graphical bugs with the cards? Not with the cards. I noticed obviously the mythic rank symbol. That's not mythic anymore. It has not that orange color. It's just kind of dark and or the diamond it's literally a diamond uh emblem did they fix that as well i i don't know i didn't have time to play there, after the yeah match. there, there was also i didn't watch but there was a show i mean i'm assuming neither of you watched either the the magic show on the twitch twitch magic channel about the kamigawa preview kamigawa yeah maybe we can talk about it next week 
Yeah, almost certainly. I, I believe they spoiled one card and it was scrambled in the kind of like, you know, Matrix style. Oh, what well, well, is the card, you know? Yeah, I do actually. It's uh, one of the new Planeswalkers. It's like a, someone's already deciphered it, obviously, within like minutes or something from this video. But I think it's like one a colorless, a blue and a black for a Planeswalker with I don't know how much loyalty. And it has a static ability, but it also has, it's like plus one, like draw a card, discard a card if you're, if you attack this turn, minus two, make a one-one unblockable ninja, and then some ultimate that's, I think it looks like kind of like, reanimate re something if you deal combat damage to to, to your opponent, like Inkai's ability. So it probably starts with free loyalty if it goes plus one and minus two, yeah. make a creature and it costs I think we can infer that it's What's a passive though? Oh no, they, 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 they brought back passives on Planeswalkers. <laughs> yeah. I I did draw yesterday, I think it was, I did draw into Narset. Just, you know, as long as people will play Narset, people will uh, try to draw into Narset and uh, yeah. I had the exact same experience playing Pioneer this week. And another that I think I feel like Pioneer is the the equivalent of what Alchemy could be if it doesn't get the support. If they decide that it's not worth their time, it's just gonna be this weird casual format like Pioneer. We're gonna talk about Pioneer. What next? Like Winter Orbs? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Winter Orb might have a bigger bigger uh bigger audience than the, than Pioneer. So yeah, I, I think we we probably plumbed the kind of depths of of, of alchemy for the time being I, yeah I, actually there, there's one more card I, I wanted to bring up that absolutely go for it i i don't know if if you've had a chance to play with it or against the cap ominous traveler it's a two mana one one that it looks like it's pretty bad but i've actually found it to be good i i've been playing it in a zombie deck so it's you seek from a spell book that the spell book is a mix of spirits werewolves zombies and vampires and so you get you get a creature, and whenever you play the creature that you got from the spellbook, the traveler goes back to your hand. So it's kind of like an elvish visionary that you get to keep rebuying, but you sometimes get really bad creatures. Like the spirits are all awful. You, you never want to take those. Those are the whammies for sure. And the wolves are pretty bad, but like the zombies are actually good, and the vampires are. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's a uh, it's been surprisingly good and just fun. Yeah, that look. Yeah, I agree. That card looked like it. It could be strong if the creatures were maybe a tiny bit better. Well, if you put it in a zombie deck, it might. You get uh, the Lord, right? The blue black Lord is one of them. Yeah. Well, I wasn't playing blue black, so the Lord wasn't a card in my deck. But the other three zombies are Champion of the Perished, Headless Rider, and Arch School of Thraben, which. Are those the three black ones are cards that people just play in normal zombie decks? Yeah, I thought it, w it would have maybe been cool if that card was a shapeshifter itself, or maybe it would have been too good. Uh, then, maybe, but, but I, I'm in at least in a zombie deck. I think it's a it's a good card. If you remember at the last set championship, Simon Gertson was playing the undead butler in his deck, <laughs> which is just embarrassingly bad. Like, Amos Amos Traveler is much better than that card for yeah. sure. That's fair. But you can cast them, right? You don't need them. You can cast them as though they were. Yeah, it makes all of the cards castable with any color mana. So yeah. you always get something you can play, but you can get the the shipwreck sifters. Yeah, I know. Which is a really 
just like a bad draft common that there's no way that's gonna be a good card in your deck. Merfolk Trader, how dare you? Show some respect, please. No. So Pat, did you legitimately have some winter of questions for Andrew? Well, I feel like I've kind of heard most of the story in parts on your stream, but Andrew, there was this rumor that you once pitched a set to Aaron Forsyth that is entirely winter orbs. Is this true? And can you give me some detail as to well, what, I, what some of the cards actually were? I, I've pitched uh, a set of uh, a winter orb themed set to multiple people at Wizards multiple times. Much to their distaste, I would say. I I I I love the card Winter Orb. I, it was like one of my favorite cards to play with when it was in the, what was standard at the time. So I, I designed it a variety of Winter Orb themed cards. Like one of them is just a land that comes into play tapped that also has the Winter Orb text. You know, just for a fun, uncounterable Winter Orb. Does it? Uh, Another one just that out, I'm out particularly proud so, of is just. Does the, does the land retain the, the mono? Card. Does the White land retain X. the continuous artifact text? So it has to start your turn untapped to have the winter orb effect. Uh no no it, it would it would it wouldn't have the continuous artifact text it would just it would just be a lockdown. I always thought that was like the the lamest part of actual winter orb tapping it with icy manipulator. When I, I would play Icy in my Winter Orb decks, but I was always just untap the land my opponent, or I would always tap the land my opponent chose to untap. Because I didn't really want anybody to get out from under the Winter Orb, even a little bit. But so the the coolest card, I think, in, well, there are two great cards that I pitched to them, which neither one are they ever going to print. So the first one is White X, put X Winter Orb tokens into play, destroy all lands. So it has an inherent tension where you're getting all these winter orbs, but you're going to blow up all the lands so they don't do anything. So, so it's, wait, like it's a, a one-mana Armageddon, too? Yeah, but you don't get any winter orbs, then. <laughs> you're obviously not going to play it and get no winter orbs. Just how many winter orbs do you want? Like how many of it is worthwhile? And so after I came up with that card, I was thinking, well... Some people might not like winter orbs as much as me, and they're going to need to sell this set. So let's go back and to a thing they used to do in Magic, where they would just print hoser cards for nice. the set, like That's City in a Bottle or Golgothian and Silex or Apocalypse Chime. So you know, like even if you didn't like the set, you could just get a card that just expressed your dislike for the set. And I was like, all right, let's make a card like that. But then I was thinking, they don't really like making cards like that, so I put a twist on it. So here's the card. One in a black, enchantment. If a player would untap more than one land in a turn, they lose the game instead. <laughs> so what that incentivizes is like, you need, you're really going to need to get a winter orb into play quick to not die to this card. So you just have to buy cards from the winter orb set. Because before you tap two lands, you're going to need to have a winter orb out to make sure you don't lose. <laughs> So they weren't that keen on the set, at least as far as I can tell, but they may be just saving it for, you know, when Magic needs a really great successful set to come out. We don't know any of the cards in Kamigawa Neon Dynasties yet. 
it's you're right. It could be the new Kamigawa set. It makes me think of that card. Did you ever hear that story about the OSIP OSIP Invitational card that he wanted to make? Where it's, no, what, what was his? I think it was one red. You win the game unless your opponent reveals that same card, then they win the game. So everyone had to play for, no matter what, because or else you just lose if they cast it. But it's a, it's a precursor to mental misstep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it was, but that was that was uh, to make sure that everyone played. I think maybe I don't remember if it costed red or if it costed zero or what it was, but yeah, you know it was. Maybe it was like zero mana instant. Who knows? But that was the, the concept that you had to play for and to not get cheesed. And then you had to decide whether, you know, get the read on your open and kind of stare them down on turn turn one, try and figure out if they have it, if you should go for it, or if you're going to get whammied. Yeah, do you have time to de-rest them to find out? Yeah, yeah or that. Uh, would you like to hear some fun actual stories of playing with Winter Orb? Yeah, I'll, I'll hear a Winter Orb anecdote or two. All right, so this one, it, it really stuck with me, which it, it, other people might not find it that interesting, but so I used to go and I would play at like a local game store, and this is when Winter Orb was in standard. So this is 20 years ago, and I still remember this. I was playing, and I got out, I'd gotten out my Winter Orb, and I had an Icy Manipulator, and... I think that the way the way it worked out, I wasn't going to be able to tap anything. I wasn't going to be able to tap their land the, the next turn. So my opponent's like, this is their one window. They're, they're never going to have any lands for the rest of the game unless they're drawing them off the top of their deck because I'm just going to tap every land they untap. So the only mana they're going to get for the rest of the game are just lands that they draw that come into play untapped. That's the only way for them to do a mass mana. So that I'm thinking... This is pretty good, but, you know, they've got a window. They could cast one more spell here, and maybe I'll lose. So the opponent untaps, and they cast the spell Mana Severance, which is one in a blue, and you can remove all your lands from your deck. So they literally, this is the last spell they chose to cast for the game. Was They just locked themselves out of ever being able to produce more than one mana in their upkeep. Right. It was, it, I was just like, you really don't understand <laughs> the way this Winter Orb is going to affect this game. They can seed it, I'm pretty sure, pretty quickly after that. It is not a good idea to take all your lands out of your deck when Winter Orb is in play. Did you consider that they just cast Mana Severance in protest to your Winter Orb deck? No, I, I don't think so. It, I, I think that they literally they built their deck with Mana Severance in it because they're like, I hate getting flooded drawing lands. So that's what yeah. they did, and they didn't draw a land for the rest of the game. And they also didn't cast a spell for the rest of the game. So, so when I learned, Winter Orb was in fifth edition, which is the first set that I ever played with, and we didn't. I don't think we had a Winter Orb in our kind of like group of my friends that we we learned to play with. But we had we had two copies of Stasis between the three or four of us, and that so that was the card that I kind of fell fell in love with playing early on in Magic. That was just absolute misery to play against and with a time elemental and Stasis is like one of the first times I put something together and I was like, okay, this is far more powerful than either of these two cards are on their own. My opponent will do nothing forever. And it was great. Yeah. I, I don't I think was never that big of a fan of stasis. Like Winter Orb has this effect on the game where it's like your opponent isn't completely done playing things, but it's just 
it's going to be so painful for them every time they want to cast a spell. Stasis, a lot of times, you just lock them out from ever doing anything, and they're like, okay, I can't do anything. The game's basically over. Winter Orb, it just slows the game down to this really painful grind, which which I really enjoyed that experience. That Yeah. I don't remember the exact timing and the sets, but I believe that when it came back in 5th edition, it wasn't especially good in standard because there was very few ways to abuse it. You didn't have Quarian Ranger, which was one of the best cards with Winter Orb because you get to untap your mana creature and bounce a tap land, so you get to recast lands, replay lands every turn. I could be wrong, but I want to say it wasn't because even when I think by the time opposition came around, it was gone. But you had a I think it was static orb when opposition yeah. was gone in standard. So I think it was it was never really that impactful uh, in the the fifth edition standard when I kind of started playing more seriously too. Opposition is another card that I just absolutely adore. One of my favorite magic cards of all time. That was when I, so it was destiny was when I started kind of like turning up at the local store where tournaments were going on, and people were playing kind of, you know, hermit, hermit decks with opposition, and it was just nothing that I could do. I could never cast any spells ever, and I was just yeah. like, this game's amazing. I want to play more and more and more, which is probably not a universal experience when you get locked out by opposition. But I, I have a very, very fond memories of the opposition. It's my favorite yeah. card as well. That, that's the deck I lost to in the quarterfinals of my first nationals against Funkenu. I was playing Enchantress, and he was playing blue-green Hermit Opposition. That was the, the yeah, my, my first top eight in nationals. Do you feel like Magic could use more of this sort of effect in general? I actually do. I think that one of the problems they've run into the past couple of years is they print ramp cards, and they don't print enough counterplay to the ramp cards. So it it actually leads to some really unfun games where if the like if the person is ramping and they're on the play, a lot of times their draw they just so easily overpower the person who's on the draw that there's just no not enough room for interaction. They've done a little bit of getting that back in the standard with Redain and Thalia, but I think it's not enough. If you remember that that standard where everyone just was playing four growth spirals, it was so miserable when you would be on the draw and your opponent would play a turn two growth spiral on the play, and you just you would start your third turn and just be like, it doesn't really matter what I I, I do here. I'm just never going to catch up, and there was just no counterplay to it. Yeah, I, I do miss Stone Rain a lot. I think I feel like that card is you know, probably pr- probably make its way back into Magic and not be particularly unfun. Well, they did just print a 4-4 Flying Avalanche Rider. Have you seen that card, Pat? Is it actually, actually an Avalanche really Rider? Or is it it's, the thing that's like, it's an Avalanche Rider, or it's it's Blight, isn't it? Or something like that? Two, two damage, yeah. 4-4 four, four Flying for two red and two, and a land gets, you know, either sack it in your upkeep, or you have to take two damage. I'll just take two. It's fine. It also, it shuts off the, it shuts off creature lands. It makes them something like oh, okay. mana. Oh, it removes the abilities as well. That's, 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 that's a pretty good magic card. It's also uh, pretty good against that uh, that goblet or whatever that gains two life of four drop. It either stone rains them off four mana or it just means that they can never get above 20. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. The, the, it is an, a clear uh, counterplay to the Cosmos Elixir. I mean, they buffed it. They have to They have to put some kind of, you know, fallback land in there. Oh. 
What, what do you think about that dragon deck, the the red de- the two red decks, whether it's the kind of the more spell-based deck? Was, I feel like that lightning bolt haste creature is decent. The new, uh, the, the pingers, the pinger version of the alchemist and the shock that kind of iterates is good. I've also been impressed by the dragon deck with the dragon whelp. Uh, I think that there's stuff to like in all of those decks. The, the Townraiser Tyrant, which is the new dragon, I think is a really good card. People put this card Fearsome Whelp in their deck, which is a 1-1 that makes your dragons cheaper. On, on your, It perpetually reduces the casting cost by one of all dragons in your hand in your instep. I think that card's pretty poor. I I didn't even put it in my deck when I was trying it. You get some really good draws with it, but you also get a lot of draws where it either dies, like it's your your two drop that just dies to spike field hazard, or it makes a dragon cheaper and then they just kill the dragon, or you draw it later on in the game and it literally does nothing. Because you just you're you can just play all the dragons off the yeah. top of your deck. I, I think it's just too low impact for what it is. But the actual like the the new dragon I think is very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely high variance. You can have some pretty disgusting draws with turn to whelp. Uh, I definitely was on the receiving end of a couple of beatings of dead deck and felt pretty helpless. But maybe in the long run, it's not that great. It, it's I I'm all, I always hate the class of cards that they make you, it, where it's a card that makes your nut draw better, but it makes your average or slightly below average draws really bad. And I think that's just a classic example of that card. And usually the yeah. way competitive magic works is you can't afford to play cards like that in actual serious competitive decks because you just get too many bad draws where you you just can't compete. Yeah, definitely not how I like to build my decks, but if they if they make them good enough, I guess. If your yeah, okay I, I, was was just really swingy games, but high percentage win rate, you know why not? Yeah, I I don't think it's actually going to be a high percentage win rate card, but maybe. Maybe it will be, and I'll get yeah. it wrong. Do you want to talk a bit about Pioneer, Pat? I, I played three rounds of Pioneer in a Pioneer Showcase. It was Blue-Red Phoenix. It was kind of fun. I think I messed up a bit. You know, both losses. There was maybe a tiny room for, for a win. Um, yeah, I think I watched you play played at least a Blue-Red Phoenix. Did you say you played again as well with like Blue-White? No, no, blue white was last showcase. Oh, okay, all right, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I logged into my Magic Online account one day this week, and you, you'd taken back the Ragavans because you were playing a bunch of Grixis Shadow. So I was like, what am I going to do with myself? I've got you know, thirty minutes to kill where I just want to just play some Magic. So I just, I built the 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 deck that won the Pioneer Showcase, which is like Yurion Creativity with uh, Sage of Falls and uh, Locust God. Ooh. Yeah, it was fun. I, I um, I, I, you know, creativity into the combo kill. I ground people out with the Orion. It has Elspeth Sun's champion, not Elspeth Sun's champion, the Sun's nemesis, the four mana one, and it has a yeah. bunch of copies of that. So, so, so it has all enchantments except for one Locust God, one two five. Yeah, exactly. And you just wow. and obviously no artifacts as well. So yeah, you just flip into those things and kill them if wow, you need to. Sounds amazing. It was honestly, it was pretty fun. And I played a little bit of blue-black control as well, and won in a league before that as well. Before I decided to bite the bullet and buy some cards too. So 
played you know new new format of Sauron. That was cool. I don't know. I just haven't played Pioneer since they banned all those cards, and it was nice to go back and play a format where just everything is just cards that have come through standard and. You know, they've taken away all the horrible things like there's no Teferi Time Ravelers or anything like that. It's just no Omnath. It's just kind of fair cards and uh, it was a decent magic experience. It kind of felt like wholesome. I, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but it felt wholesome to me. I was kind of just magic as Garfield intended. And you know, I'm not going to do it again in a hurry. I'll get Ragabans back off you, but it was once. Yeah. I played a decent bit of that Grixis Shadow deck in Modern. I thought it was really strong. Yeah, I agree. I think I 4 1 three leagues, went 6 3 in the showcase, losing to Burn twice and Murktide once. Should have played that one create, uh, Collective Brutality, like I told you to. Yeah, that or maybe more Stubborn Denials in the sideboard, I was thinking, because your hope, I guess, against Burn is to dump a bunch of shadow when you get low enough and have the one or two counter spells to just not die to their last couple burn spells and kill them real fast with shadows. I think that's how the old shadow deck used to win, as well as team or battle rage. So maybe these cards would just be better than straight up collective brutality. I, mean, I think in that exact matchup, having, you know, Gurmag Anglers and Stubborn Denials is a better place for you to be a shadow, yeah. but I think the deck obviously better overalls is the way it's configured right now. Andrew, when was the last time you played Okay, modern. I kind of want to say it was the last modern Pro Tour, but I might have played one league a few months after that. I, I haven't played on Magic Online in a year and a half, maybe. And yeah. even but before that, I was only drafting. Yeah. I, at, at this point, whenever I turn on some stream where people are playing modern, I don't know what most of the cards do. The, so the format has certainly changed significantly since you would have last played it. I, so I presumably the last time you played it, it was the Hogak PT. Yeah, I played it. The, I played the Hogak PT, and then did you play the Gak? No, I played Blue White Control. Mm. How'd it go? I, did, I thought my deck was fine against Hogak, but I went. I lost the one match I played against Hogak. The match also featured a forty-five minute deck check. It was the longest deck check I've ever seen. Wow. Have you got any details about how it took 45 minutes? Were they playing Battle of Wits? Uh, no, they were deciding whether or not to kick my opponent out of the tournament. Ah, uh, okay. They, they <laughs> I can tell the story if you want. It's it's almost yeah. unbelievable what happened. All right, I'm, will, I'm, I'm game. All right, so we get a deck check, and it starts taking a while. And eventually the judges come and they ask my opponent to go away with them, which is always a sign that something bad is happening for the person who's been taken away. And usually they, they'll come back after five minutes or whatever, and, you know, the person's gotten a warning or they've gotten a game loss, depending on what the infraction was. This time that my opponent's just gone, he's gone for a really long time. Like the round, is, we're halfway through the round. Eventually, a judge comes to just start keeping me company because they're worried that I was feeling lonely, I guess. <laughs> and a little bit more time passes. Eventually, I ask the judge in front of me, is my opponent going to be coming back to play? And he says, no, probably not. But then we get towards the end of the round, and a different judge comes, and he asks me to move to the table that's like the highest table number. I'm like, okay, why am I doing this? He's like, your, your opponent's going to come back, and we're gonna, you're going to play your match. But we want the rest of the tournament to move on without you. We don't want you guys to be holding up the tournament. 
So what they're, they, they're going to do a, like a separate Swiss pairing for the next round if they have to start it where they're going to pair like the they're going to pull two other people out of the tournament, one to play the winner of my match and one to play the loser of my match with the idea that eventually we'll catch up with the rest of the tournament. So they bring my opponent back, we play, and it, uh, the match actually goes fast, so we don't wind up, we don't get lapped by the tournament. We, we, we actually get to play again. But my opponent tells me, and I really wish he hadn't said this, he told me that he's sorry about the delay. What had happened was all of his hogax were marked. And what he told the judges was that they must have been marked because in a previous match, his opponent had surgical extraction to his hogax. And that person, when they were extracting them, must have bent the sleeves on all of the hogax, which is how they were marked. And somehow he either, this isn't what, maybe this isn't what he told the judges, or maybe he was more persuasive when he told the judges. But when I heard that, I was just like, I really wish he hadn't told me that, because that just sounds so ridiculous that I, I would have been happier not knowing. Because, like, when you're in that situation where, where the judges, I didn't get to see the cards, I'm just trusting the judges to have made a good decision, and that's their job. I'm like, I'm willing to live by the judge's discretion in that case, but... What I was told really made me think, I'm not that happy about what, what happened yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, you were kind of like, yeah, willing to willing to believe anything until until that happened. Yeah. This, yeah. Is this the PT that you, you got caught at? No. No, That it's was not. Barcelona. Yu okay. was London. Okay, yeah. But they yeah, were you, both you, modern. You That's right. I, I didn't lose, the, I, or I lost the match, which made it feel especially bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just, that's absolutely worst. Where you're just kind of on ice for ages, and your opponent's about like just <laughs> millimeters from being thrown out of the tournament, and then they just come back and attack the lethal. You just yes, basically. I saw you. You started posting videos on YouTube too, Andrew. Do you plan on being like super serious about it? Do you not know yet, or is it just a once in a while things when you feel like you have? Oh, I, I've cool. been trying to be very serious about it, actually. I've, I've been posting alchemy videos almost every day yeah. since alchemy came out. I, I took a little bit of a break over Thanksgiving, but I, other than that, I've been posting multiple videos every week. And Did I actually you... put a fair amount of time into them. They're, yeah. uh, they're kind of deck tech videos with a little bit of gameplay. Yeah, but I, I go over the, the deck building for each of the decks. They're, I, I think they're pretty good videos. I, I'm definitely still getting... Uh, getting used to the editing and the production. Yeah. That stuff is still showing, like there's still room to improve. That part is kind of fun. What what software do you use? I've been using Shotcut just because I like using open source software when it's available. Okay. It seems to work pretty well, but I, I, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of call for super fancy editing in Magic videos anyway. So yeah, I'm, it's just really- Yeah, no, not for that kind of videos, I guess, but yeah. 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 The thing is I did about one YouTube. video where I was going over all of the alchemy card nerfs, yeah. and that was one where I really felt like my production skills weren't up to what they needed to be to make a good video. Yeah. But for the ones that are just like building a deck on Arena, talking about it, and then playing, I think yeah. I've got that pretty under control. Cool. Yeah, I, I also, I, uh, I don't know if you've gone and watched any of the videos, I made one video with the most recent set championship. I played blue, red, control, and historic. 
and I played just a really, really great match. Well, great game, I guess, against a guy playing Junk Food, where I beat him by playing Shark Typhoon, and then Archmage is charming his ovens, and then playing instants to make shark tokens and sacking them to the ovens and gaining life. And and it at, like the game went on forever, and it really mattered that I'd gained all the life. It was a great game. Yeah. Nice. I think you could learn a lot from that video specifically because you've always been so hesitant to heart cash Shark Typhoon. <laughs> and it was in my victory. Yeah. Yeah, I recorded a lot of my matches from that tournament and didn't end up using it. I'm not ready for the the YouTube long haul kind of grind, but I've been posting also like videos here and there when I feel like I have something a little special or fun or in, especially interesting and timely. Yeah. I, I definitely, I've been trying to take it pretty seriously and I am trying to get people to, you know, go and sub and yeah. start watching the videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty proud of what I've been making. I think it, I think it's actually good magic content. I've, it's been a long time since I've tried to actually make somewhat serious magic content. Yeah. But this is going to be a thing you're going to keep going kind of through next year of the whole final year of MPL and off into the foreseeable future, you imagine? I, I don't know. I Honestly, I feel so much better about making magic content now that they've killed off the MPL. I I just my experience in the MPL was it just really made me dislike the whole magic content thing because I felt like what they were doing with the MPL was so bad and they were they weren't working to improve it. So it just there was nothing as an individual member of the MPL who was making content, there was nothing I could do to overshadow just how bad everything Watsi was doing was. So it really made me have a bad, I guess, like a negative attitude towards actually trying to make content, trying to engage with the community. Now that that's all dead, I I feel so much more positive about making content. I I feel I might have been exacerbated a lot by the first year being kind of essentially contractually obliged to stream and then having that just vanish as well in the next round and yeah. Uh, that like the specifics of how that worked with the contract i thought was completely reasonable to be honest uh, i wasn't it, it wasn't it didn't come as a surprise that it vanished it, it was kind of understood that it was only going to be a one-year thing but the thing that really poisoned the whole thing was when the, the like the the weekly league play their production was just so terrible and oh. the format with selection was so terrible and the scheduling was just awful. Like they, they would always have you, they wanted you to be streaming, but you always would have to interrupt your streaming schedule to go and re- pre-record these matches that were just awful and nobody was going to want to watch. So it really, it made me very negative on the whole thing. But you're back into it and enjoying it again. That's good to hear at least. Yeah, I, I, I've been, I've definitely been enjoying uh playing alchemy and doing content with it and honestly i was enjoying doing uh I, I did standard content before and standard content was a little bit worse to make but it, it was still fun i was enjoying it should we move on to prices right and life on the line maybe yeah i reckon we should life on the line and wrap up i think all right do you want where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the life or the price? Let's do prices, right? All right. None okay. of these alchemy cards have a price, though. Yeah, one one rare wild card. What are we going to talk about? 
Hmm. What card are we going to pick? Um, so, Andrew, Andrew I, I don't know if you've ever, ever listened, but we, due to our contractual obligation to be <laughs> to, to card market, <laughs> at, the, at the end of every episode, we play a bastardized version of the game, The Price is Right, where we try and guess the price of a card on, on Magic Card Market. Do one, do one of the holiday cards. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, all right. I only remember the name of one of them. It's Seasons Beatings. All right, what does it do? I don't know. All right, I'm oh, going to say... There's one that's also like... I think I have one of the few... The ones they send you, Andrew? Yeah, they, they make a Christmas card every year. And they, yeah. I, Which I've is your favorite holiday card? I have a few of them. I don't know what any of them are called or... Do I think there's one that's a goblin? All right, we've got the text for Seasons Beating. It's four red, so red, 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 sorcery, sorcery, family gathering. Each creature target player controls deals damage equal to its power to another random creature that player controls. Right, okay, so it's a play on horrible family dynamics. Okay. I guess so. I don't know. I'm going to go five euros. I'm going to go... 46 euros. Yeah, I reckon I reckon Andrew's in the ballpark, right? Um, Damn, I got you. I reckon it's probably kind of like, I reckon it's 30 euro, and now I'm going to look it up. I wonder how much the ones I have are worth. I can't believe you let me scam you guys like that. I got to suggest the card and then guess the price. Oh, whatever. Well, a- Andrew is the winner. Do you want to know what the actual price of it is, though? It's obviously 46. It's obviously like close to 100. Yeah. Available from 84 euro. Wow. I wonder if they have that one. I don't think I do. I doesn't The, the casting cards doesn't look familiar. I, don't... I, I think that one might be from wow. a couple of years ago or more. Yeah. I, I, I've never seen that one before. <laughs> Where's it from? It's 2009, apparently. Yeah, it's more than a couple of years ago. Yeah, that is more than a couple of years ago. Right, okay. So that's the end of the prices, right? Thank you very much, Card Market, for sponsoring this podcast. Go and buy season beatings from Card Market for the low, low price of 84 euro. Um, okay. Life on the line. Sure. Theoretical tournament that you're playing tomorrow. And if you win, you live. And if you lose, well, that's the end of your time on the earth. You die. Uh, you have to take bring a deck from any format we've talked about this 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 week, which... I guess we just do alchemy and I guess historic as well. Maybe just alchemy. Okay. All right. That's fine. Any thoughts? Well, I have a question about, so is the goal deliver or not in the construct of this game? It seems ambiguous. It is. It is. The goal is to live, Andrew. Technically it's to live, but I've played from the other side before. (laughs) Well, I'm going to pick blue white control. In alchemy, that's the deck that I've had the most success with, for sure. I'm gonna just go with trusty red black vamp. I played zero alchemy, but I think I trust Andrew more than Gab at this point in my life. I barely know him, but I know Gab quite well. So blue eyes is. (laughs) All right, good boots. Well. I guess since I'm playing the role of host, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, this is the normal part where we share social media and contact information. So, Andrew, where can we find you on social media, etc.? cetera? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Cunio. You can find me on Twitch 
at Andrew Cuneo, and you can find me on YouTube, which you have to just search for Andrew Cuneo on YouTube, I guess, because I'm not a successful enough YouTube channel to have my own URL yet. Okay. But if you go and check that out, maybe he will become a successful YouTube channel, and then he'll have his own URL. Yeah, it, it, that would be so great. Yeah, that would be good. You could probably also find your content under the hashtag, hashtag free to bias Andrion, but it might be a little bit outdated. <laughs> I, I haven't tweeted about that in a while. Honestly, that was that was some of my favorite favorite Twitter moments is the free to bias Andrion era. Did did you see the whole com the whole culmination of the free to bias Andrion movement? Uh, I don't think I did actually. I did. I definitely saw something about not freeing Gosta Dirk though. Well, so. At one point, I went to a GP Vegas, and Watsu was very nice, and they gave me a swag bag. I'm not really sure why they gave it to me, but they did. And it had an unopened pack of English Legends in it. And I, yeah, oh, I remember I that was the series that of GP the smart rights. Thing to do was not to sell it, but to crack it on a stream. So I cracked it, and I literally opened to Tobias Andrian in the pack. I literally freed Tobias Andrian, who had been imprisoned in this pack for like 20 years. For Shielton. Was that the rare? No, that was the uncommon. The rare was, I opened like the worst possible rare you could get. It was some horrible card that had also been reprinted in Chronicles. So it was whatever the equivalent of an English Legends bulk rare is, which is still. I, yeah. I, have, I have good memories of Chronicles. I don't know if it was a, a good. Chronicles has like some, it was all reprint, right? Kind of. Yeah, it was all white border reprints of cards that were very expensive. Yeah, so Chronicles actually had good cards in them, right? Yeah, yeah, and they were money at the time for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitch.tv/yellowhats streaming. We've got Cube for Charity coming up December twenty-seven, twenty-eight. I believe that should be really fun. We raising money for charity, trying to get cube trophies on Magic Online. You can find me on Twitter at GavNasif and on YouTube, uh, Yellow Hat, I think, something like that. And yeah, sorry, Andre, go ahead. Who's who's on your team for, for the cube for charity? It's thing? J-Bro, me, Caleb D, and Mebo against, I believe, I don't know if it's public yet, but... Who cares? It's Jim Davis. I forget now. I think Carmen, Jim Davis. I think he's got some some real ringers this year. I mean, I guess he had the ringers last year too. I think Reed is on his team, honestly, and maybe Seti P. Anyways, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. So isn't Caleb just gonna get the most trophies? Or Jay Bro is one of those guys who plays a lot of cube, right? Yeah, I think. I don't remember exactly, but I think I might have gotten the most trophies last year. That that I can't possibly believe that. Because I was going to say, I think I could easily 4X however many trophies you get. But I'm, Caleb, I'm... <laughs> Caleb it, it is hard to compete with. People just love to underrate me. It's fine. I'm used to it. I really feel like there's probably about five more minutes time for Andrew to just lay into Gab if he really wants. Is there anything you wanted to get off your chest, Andrew? <laughs> Well, I do just think I could definitely get four times more cube trophies than you. You, you haven't come close to making me cry right away. No, no, I thought I would be nice. I'd, I'd, oh. go, I'd go easy on you, which you might think it's because I'm actually trying to be nice, but it's not. It's because the next time I'm on your stream, it's going to be a surprise how mean I'm going to yeah. be. 
You know, I was I was convinced you had been on on the podcast before, but that's because you're the only one who's nice enough to come and hang out with me when I do these uh, top eight coverage streams, like co-streams. So do, I do you really like, consider it being nice? I like I enjoy your your company and the viewers do. And he's taking pity on you, Gab. Oh. I I. I, the last time you had me on, I went on like a 10-minute rant about how awful you were and how you had said you were awful. <laughs> I guess it Just didn't leave a lasting impression. Did not scar me. <laughs> well, you got 60 more seconds to get him. Come on. All right. All right. I'll tell you a story about how I got Gab in the past. This is maybe like 2013 or something like that. It was before I knew Gab particularly well. We we were in Hawaii and we were playtesting for a Pro Tour. And I wound up playing a blue-black control deck that I used Pro Lake Ancient. And Gab really wanted me to use, I think it was called Prognostic Sphinx. But I made him promise me that, I, I told him, look, I'll play against you, but I'm not going to play with Prognostic Sphinx, and I demand that you don't talk about Prognostic Sphinx the entire time, which I got him to agree to, because Prognostic Sphinx was just awful, and I don't know why he wanted to talk about it, but he did. But he was true to his word, and he didn't bring it up the entire time we were playing. Well, when people remember these stories, I wish I could remember stories as well as Andrew and everyone else. Anyways, yeah, if you made it this yeah. far, uh, I'm guessing you're <laughs> glad you did because you got to hear that amazing story. That's right. And yeah, thank you so much for watching slash listening. Um, hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time. Yeah, happy, happy holidays. And thanks for joining us, Andrew. You can come back anytime. and be Yeah, thank you have. so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. All right, later, everyone. Bye.